0: And a good morning to you and welcome to the show. The Back Nine Boys Golf Show is brought to you by Mizuno Golf. Reach beyond by Club Car, the leader in sport, utility, and personal vehicles. By RSM, proud sponsor of the RSM Classic, giving back to our community. And by Bridgestone Golf. Get fitted for your tour b-ball today. On the show, we're going to talk with uh, fifth-year senior Ben Carr, Georgia Southern golfer who finished second at last week's U.S. Amateur. We'll also talk with his coach, Carter Collins, about that. Then we'll talk with Bob Friend, who played on the tour and is the son of Pittsburgh Pirate pitcher, Bob Friend. And then we'll talk with Mr. 59, it was the second one to do that ever on the PGA Tour, Chip Beck, who won his tour card here at sea Palms, And we'll talk about the tour today and his feelings about that other tour. But first up is 50-year senior Georgia Southern's Ben Carr and his coach Carter Collins. Good morning, guys. How are you today?
1: Doing well. How are you?
0: I'm doing. I'm doing great. You guys, uh, you had quite a, a big uh, week last week, Ben.
1: Yes, sir. It was. It was a fun week up in New Jersey, um, but it's going to be back home in Statesboro.
0: I'll bet you are, and uh, I'll bet you're. Uh, I'm proud. I watched it. I was proud totally of the way that you fought back, uh, proud of the way that you handled yourself. Um, What are your thoughts after a week of being back home about the fact that you became the runner-up at the U.S. Amateur?
1: Definitely pretty cool to kind of look back on it and just run through certain shots, watch some highlights, talk to friends and family that were there. Um, Just kind of reminiscing on it, but uh, it's, Definitely time to turn the page because we start our fall season uh, next week up in Notre Dame.
0: Now, what I've always learned from sports psychologists is that golfers have to have a short memory. So when you say it was last week, you're over it, now you got to move on. That's part of that process, right?
1: Yes, sir, exactly. I think, um, I think the short-term memory is very accurate in golf. I think you could let yourself go down a path of being caught up in what happened on the last shot or the last week or the last season Um, I think it's really important to just kind of decompress after and then once you're able to do that just move on to the next next shot or next event
0: well I have that problem of short term I mean all as far as memory I really do I walk into a room and wonder why I even went in the room (laughs) anyway uh ben uh so you were five down what were you and will talking about or thinking about or were you talking at all during the fact that you were five down going into maybe the last 12 13 holes
1: yes sir we were definitely talking um it it was a lot of uh just positive reinforcement from each other Um, a lot of will reminding me that tiger was five down um in one of his usm wins so just hearing stuff like that i mean anything to kind of get you going get get your mind right for the last 12 holes helps out a lot i just was really looking for a spark and was able to get two and two holes to kind of yeah put, put me back in the match and um from from there on i fought till the end and uh you i don't did. really have any, any regrets honestly
0: all right, looking back over the final three or four holes, five holes, any shots or holes you would like to you would have liked to have taken over?
1: Would have liked to had back? Yeah, you bet. Uh no. I I think everyone is asking why I went for thirteen. Uh, I've got that question a lot and
0: that's the par five.
1: The par five, yes, yeah. sir. He he had hit it out of bounds, which I wasn't sure it was out of bounds. Obviously, I watched him hit his provisional, uh, so I knew there was a chance. It was out of bounds, but I never got a signal that it was in or out. Okay. Um, And I had a really good number with a hybrid to a hole. I'd been playing really well all week when I went for the green. And, I mean, I didn't want to lay up and have his ball be okay. And he hit it to 15 feet. He make birdie, I make par. And everybody's asking me why I laid up. I mean, it it just could have gone either way, and I just hit a bad shot.
0: All right. I've read an article that you said like uh, you felt like you earned a seat at the table. What do you? What did you mean by that?
1: Um, I don't re- recall saying that, but I think I mean I do agree with that in a sense. I think, um, I think I've I've been able to gain some confidence, feel like I belong with some of the best amateurs in the world, um, but. I mean, I don't know. It was it was a really fun week, and it was it's gonna be fun to draw back on it for confidence purposes because uh, there's so much stuff I can take from last week. I mean, yeah, whether it's uh, making match play, like grinding to make match play, or uh, playing back to back matches that went 18 plus holes. Um, I mean, being being up, losing the lead, and and hitting a shot on 17 in the quarterfinals to. I um, mean, win that match, and and being down to Sam and uh, coming back and seeing number thirty six. So I just I feel like there's a lot that I'll be able to draw back on for sure.
0: Tell me about the significance of your ball marker. They showed it on TV quite a bit. I know it means a lot to you.
1: Yeah. So uh, Jeffrey Jenkins with True Blue Ball Markers actually made that for me, and uh, it's got a, it's got GS. Uh, logo on one side, and it's got a bunch of stuff for my dad on the back. I just wanted to have something uh, tangible in my bag that I could just be reminded that he's with me when I'm playing. And uh, Jeffrey did some ball markers for the team, and I figured that was a good way to uh, always have something of his significance with me.
0: Yeah, you bet, always. Coach, how proud of Ben are you? Extremely. I'll bet. I'll bet. So. I know his performance is great for Ben and his future. Uh, what does this do for Georgia Southern golf?
2: Um, I think it continues to show the world that, you know, the players at Georgia Southern are special and they can accomplish anything uh, they want to do through Georgia Southern. And, um, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Ben went up to New Jersey and accomplished what he did on his own. I'm sure there's going to be some residual uh positive effects that come out of this towards the program in the university and the athletic department. But you know, we're just excited for Ben and what he accomplished. It's that's amazing.
0: You bet. And what does what are you advising Ben to do for the future? I know you got some more matches. He's got to finish out his fifth year senior. So what happens and what are you advising him to do, coach?
2: One of Ben's best qualities is he uh, he doesn't listen to me very often. So there um <laughs> That's why he's gotten to where he is. Um, not sure at all. We're, uh, no, I mean, I just, I just want him to stay patient, and uh, I think I've texted him take a deep breath quite a few times in the last week or two, which yeah. he's done a good job of. He doesn't need my advice, but he's. Um, I know it's been a lot, you know, kind of drinking out of a fire hydrant the last few days um, since Sunday. Um, but he's done a great job of staying patient and uh, keeping his thought process slow, and he's made some great decisions. He's given some great interviews since it, uh, since Sunday and um, man, that whole week was just incredible. The interviews he gave on TV, um, you know, how he handled his emotions throughout every single match, even though he had to be mentally exhausted after playing that championship golf course for nine straight days. Um, Incredible. Just
1: couldn't be prouder. Yeah. A
0: lot of golf. Ben, what are your thoughts on your future?
1: Um, I'm definitely really excited for this year. I think we have a, really strong team and we play a great schedule so I mean, it's a lot more fun being on the road with my teammates than it is being on the road during the summer um <laughs> i mean just having everybody on the same van in the same uh, hotel and having the coaches there it's it's a lot more fun so i'm just honestly really excited not many plans just can't wait to start playing
0: so after school are you thinking about turning pro
1: I mean, I definitely would like to. I, I've always dreamed of playing professional golf, um, but you, you never really know what's going to happen. So, I mean, my focus is um, on, no, on, our, on our next tournament at Notre Dame and kind of just go from there. And if it all works out the way I want it to, I'd, I'd love to be playing professional golf next year. But, I mean, it's just whatever happens early.
0: Yeah. And uh, what about Will? Is he in the future with you if you go on to the next step?
1: I haven't thought that far, honestly. Okay. Um, I've just been trying to uh, talk to a lot of people about this past week, and um, and then try and move on to our school season. And uh, he did an awesome job at the USM, and I'm very lucky that that he was able to carry for me, and I'm lucky to call him a friend. Uh, but I haven't, I haven't thought too far.
0: Yeah, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. You've got some stuff to do there at Georgia Southern. We hope you the best. I do want to ask you one more question. You reached into your pocket on one of the holes. I think it was on the first tee, and you kept searching for something. Were you searching for your ball marker?
1: Yeah. So uh, on the first hole, uh, well, I had had my ball marker in my pocket in the warm up before the rain delay. I came back out and didn't check my pockets because I just figured it was still there. Got to the first tee and was getting my tees, my ball, my my ball marker, all that stuff together, make sure I had it. And it wasn't in my pocket, either pocket. Well, my left pocket was completely empty. And eventually I just decided to use a different ball marker. I didn't think much about it after the first couple holes, but I was reading my putt on 15 green and I looked down in my left pocket and see the outline of that ball marker. And it, I just, it was pretty crazy. Um, and then to have the rainbow on 16 and I – was able to mark my ball with that ball marker to close out the match. It was just, it just sounds like a movie script.
0: It does. And it could be coach (laughs) Ben. Thank you so much for taking time. I know you've been doing a lot of interviews and a lot of talks, and I appreciate you taking time and making time for us this morning on the back nine boys golf show.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you, Rich. All
0: right, guys. Good luck at wherever you're going, Notre Dame or wherever. I know you're coming down here to play too today, but, uh, You guys be good, and thanks for being with us.
2: Yes, sir. Thank Thank you. you.
0: All right, Coach Collins and Ben Carr, second runner-up at the U.S. Amateur up in New Jersey. Uh, Great playing, great program, and just a great university with a great coach and some great players. So we're going to be up next with former PGA Pro Bob Friend, who is the son of Bob Friend Sr., who was a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. We'll be back right after this. On the Back Nine Boys Golf Show.
3: Hi, this is Davis Love III, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show.
0: And welcome back. And uh, Davis is going to be in Charlotte as the captain of the President's Cup next month. That'll be exciting. Also exciting is our next guest, Bob Friend, LSU grad, played on the PGA Tour, Nationwide Tour, Champions Tour. Good morning, Bob, and welcome to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show.
4: Hey, thank you so much, Rich, for having me. How are you
0: today? I am thrilled. I've got to tell you that I used to watch your dad pitch for the Pirates, and when they won the World Series in '60, it was pretty exciting. I'll tell you.
4: Well, it was. Uh, you know, it was. A, it was a great team with great chemistry. You know, they got blown out in every game that they lost to the Yankees. Uh, but you know, they just they had great chemistry. They had a great pitching staff, and then uh, obviously. You know, the iconic home run there, uh, going over Yogi Berra's head, uh, sealed it all. So, yeah, it was one of those things that uh, lives in baseball lore, and certainly it's a uh, one of the seminal events uh, in my father's life and also in the city of Pittsburgh.
0: You bet. Hey, when you played on the tour, Bob, you had some a lot of top ten finishes in the 90s. You had quite a year. Tell us about some of those.
4: Well, I mean, it was one of those things. I mean, I would go back and say that, if anything, I was a journeyman. Um, I ended up playing uh, after graduation from LSU. Um, I went back and I, I got my degree in uh, uh, business administration, graduated in December of 86, and then I uh, was a finalist for the U.S. Walker Cup team. Uh, I had a wonderful summer. I had a, I had a very good amateur career, uh, you know, qualified for the U.S. Open as a 20-year-old amateur in 84 and four straight U.S. amateurs. Um, you know, won the Northeast Amateur, the Mid-Atlantic Amateur, the Monroe Invitational, Pennsylvania State Amateur. I had a very good career and uh, was a finalist for the Walker Cup team in 87 when I found out that I did not make it. Mm. Uh, you know, I turned professional and I played, you know, 17 years all told all around the world. Uh, you know, most notably, you know, nine years on what's now called the Corn Ferry Tour and five right. years on the PJ Tour. Uh, I think I ended up with I, I don't even I think I might have ended up with something like 27 top 10 finishes on the, the Corn Ferry Tour, and I think I had four or five top tens on the PGA Tour. Um, you know, my best year on the PGA Tour was you know 1998. Uh, I think I had three or four top tens, and I you know most notably I lost a Sunday playoff to Billy Andrade, uh, the Bell Canadian Open in 1998. Uh, had the lead. After a shot, sixty nine, sixty seven, had the lead mm. after Friday. At sixty eight on Saturday, and Maine had a two shot lead over Billy. We played on uh, Saturday and Sunday. And then uh, you know, Sunday came down came down to the seventy second hole where I uh, I was one shot back. Uh, a reachable par five at Glen Abbey, eighteenth hole, and um, I hit and I knocked it in the back bunker. In two, you know, big gallery around there. It's the National Open, and. Uh, Billy then knocked his second shot into the water, trying to go for the green, And he draw, had to drop back on the far side of the hazard. Headed nine out right in there about 35 feet. Uh, I hit my bunker shot out. Great bunker shot going across the green, probably about an 80, 90-foot bunker shot. Um, water right behind the pin. I hit it in there about four feet. And as I came, you know, as you sit there and you try to control your emotions. You try to control right. your thoughts when you're playing tournament golf, when you're right. playing golf, period. But Especially playing at the highest level, you've got to be able to control your thoughts in between shots. And uh, as soon as I came out, hit, as soon as I hit that bunker shot, and Billy had about 35 feet for par, I looked at my caddy and just said, it Looks like we're going to go to the Masters.
5: that really oh.
4: makes the damn thing.
5: Oh. Um, so that puts more I, pressure now on I you. I have to
4: make about a four footer to get into a playoff with him, which I, you know, at that time. Over four footer to have your first opportunity to get into a playoff to win a tournament. I, I couldn't see. My ears were ringing. Uh-huh. Uh, I couldn't spit. My heart was pounding. My knees were shaking, and I just I buried it. And then it just so happened he beat me in the first hole of sudden death, and uh, it, it saved me about fifty cents a year, thing because it got Billy off my Christmas card list. <laughs>
5: so,
4: you know, just one of those things. But it was a it was a I had a wonderful time. Uh, when you go back and you take a look at uh, you know, when I was 14, I decided they, they played the PGA Championship at Oakmont, a longtime member at Oakmont Country Club, still a member there for 50 years. Wow. And, uh, you know, when I was 14 years old, I carried the PGA Championship for a club professional from Kansas, and uh, he, he, he couldn't really play. He wasn't a very good player. He shot 88-83, missed the cut. But we played our Monday through Wednesday practice rounds with Tom Watson because he and, and Tom were friends. And I was inside the ropes with the number one player in the world at the time. And I remember on Monday morning after the tournament was over, John Mahap, had won in a playoff. My father asked me, you know, so what did you think? I just said, that is the coolest thing that I've ever seen, and that's what I do when I grow up. Wow. And then when you think about, you know, a young boy, young boy, having dreams of, you know, being a doctor, being an attorney, playing baseball, playing in the major leagues, playing on the PGA Tour, I had the opportunity with wonderful parents, and wonderful support system to live my dream yeah but it was one of those things where you know you have a dream you have a goal and i'm a very focused individual and i just i did everything possible to get where i did and and to be out there and playing with the best players in the world competing at the highest level was just it's a thrill of a lifetime
0: yeah and you won on that highest level what was it like to win for you at that time
4: Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, it was. Uh, I also won that in the playoff. It was 1991. It was in Fort Wayne. At that time, the Ben Hogan tour, I shot uh, 71. The first round was tied for about 50th. And then I shot, at this time, they were 54-hole tournaments. But it was. Uh, I shot 71 the first round, shot 66 the second round, and then the final round on Sunday, I shot 64. And I got into a three-way playoff with myself, Dennis Trixler, and a guy from Canada by the name of Jerry Anderson, and uh, I hit it about a foot and a half away on the fourth playoff hole uh, to win the golf tournament. And, wow. you know, it's just at that time, it was a $20,000 first place. You know, I was, you know, a young guy. I was, uh, what was that? I was like 20, 25 and 20, uh, 28, I think. No, 27. I was 27. And, uh, you know, that was like, oh my gosh, I just won this tournament. Yeah. And then was, again, what that does is that, as Jack Nicklaus always said, you know, success breeds success and winning breeds winning. And so, sure. You know, winning out there, literally, um, at that time, I can't remember what I finished on the money list. This was when they only took five players, the top five, and I think I probably finished like 15th or 14th on the money list, something along those lines. But I ended up going in the fall, going to Q School, and it was green Greenleaf, and literally, you know, I've been to Q School a number of times. Like I said, I was a journeyman. Right. Um but that particular year in 1991, I mean literally it was the easiest Q school I've ever experienced because I of 108 holes in the finals, I th- I think I hit like 95 greens. I was just I was just a you know wow. I've always been an accurate driver of the golf
0: ball. You were a machine. Uh, I
4: was one of the most accurate drivers of the golf ball on the PGA Tour. Never long, but I always hit a lot of fairways and when I missed them, I didn't miss them by much. Yeah. And I just I mean I just hit fairways and greens and so I really breezed through Q school, but it was the win in June of 1991 in Fort Wayne that gives you the confidence that, yeah you know, I can do this. I can play with these guys. Right. And, you know, and then the years later, it was, uh, like I said, I, was, I played on tour in 92 and 93, and then uh, most dramatically, you know, I lost my card, played on the Nike tour at that time. And then uh, in December of uh, 97, I, to this day, I still hold the record for the lowest round ever recorded, uh, at PGA Tour qualifying on round six to get your card back on the number, shot 63 the final round mm. in 1997 at again the Greenleaf again uh, to get my card back on the number and uh, you know it was just a lot of dramatics highs and lows throughout a career and uh, but at the end of the day you know when I go back and take a look at. Um, you know, I made a living for my family, was able to sock away some money for, for college and my kids. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I've, I've played with everybody. I mean, I was I played with Tiger Woods in his first PGA Tour event when he was 16 years old at the LA Open. And then, you know, I played with Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, Ballesteros, Tom Watson, Ernie Ells, Davis Love. I used to play with Davis Love a lot. I was paired with Davis quite a bit.
5: Yeah. But it was,
4: uh, you know, again, like I said, you sit there as a young boy and this is your dream. and have the opportunity to live it, it was uh, just really it was really a, quite a thrill
0: so bob seventeen years journeyman on the tour what would you recommend to a young player coming out of high school college who really wants to play on the PGA tour what would you recommend that's, for them
4: that's a great question rich and i'll tell you here's here's the thing and this is what i follow years ago there was again i grew up at oakmont I was very very blessed right great parents i wouldn't say we were you know ov- overly wealthy but we were we were comfortable. Right. I remember beating balls. I started playing golf when I was thirteen. Made my decision the next year when I was fourteen. That's what I was going to do. And there was a gentleman by the name of Fred Brand, who was actually on the USGA executive committee for years. He was a member at Augusta, member at Oakmont, insurance business. Very, very smart, very high golf IQ gentleman. And I remember him watching me hit balls. And I was like, the Oakmont has this men's game called the SWAT, famous men's game that plays Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. And so Mr. Brand was watching me hit balls where he went and he played in the SWAT. And then when he came down 18, because the range at Oakmont, the 18th fairway, I was still hitting balls.
5: Mm-hmm. And
4: so he came down to the range to, you know, maybe hit some balls himself. But mostly to talk to me just said, have you been here the whole time? I said, I have. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to play in the PGA Tour. So it's a great goal. He said, before you even consider turning professional, he said, do these things things are this, beat everyone at your club, beat everyone in your city or town, beat everyone in your part of the state, beat everyone in your state, and then win national tournaments on a national level. Hmm. I did all those things. And then only then do you consider turning professional. So for the young people that are thinking about, man, I love this game, this, that, and the other, number one, you had better be able to do all of those things before you can even consider doing it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to get your rear end handed to you. Uh, you're going to be competing against the best of the best of the best. So beat everyone at your club, city, your portion of the state, the state, and then start winning some tournaments on a national level. If you can't do those things, then you're not, then you're not good enough. Number two... I would I would strongly recommend, and the game has changed dramatically since when I was a first term professional with the advent of the Pro V1 series of golf balls, the explosive golf balls. Right. Work on your wedge game. Now, the game is the game is played game is played from 100 yards an in. And if you don't believe me, 1945, Byron Nelson won 11 tournaments in a row, 18 tournaments all told on the year the stroke average for the year was 68.33. Here we are, you know, 77 years later, uh, people are driving the golf ball probably 100 yards beyond where Byron Nelson could drive it. Where's hmm. the scoring average? Right. The scoring average is still 68.33 to 69.33. That's where the scoring average is. The game is played from 100 yards and end. So what you need to do, even if you have tremendous length or if you hit it short, have to ha- you have to be a great wedge player. You've got to be a Marine Corps sniper with your wedges. Your distance control has to be precise. Right. You're a shorter player. You can still make a lot of birdies on par fives If you miss fairways, Hit the ball within 100 yards, you've got a better than 50% chance of getting the ball up and down. If you're a banger, if you bomb the golf ball, you're going to have a lot of wedges. have to make birdies, eight irons through your wedges, and most importantly, You've got to be absolutely dead on with your wedges. I used to, when I was on tour, I used to have every Tuesday, uh, my caddy would walk out on tour with three towels. I carried at the time, I carried three wedges. I carried a, a 48, a pitching wedge, a 56-degree sand wedge, and a 60-degree lob wedge. And he'd place towels at uh, 65, 80, and 105 on the range of those towels, which are three-quarter shots with each of each of those wedges for me. And I would practice for two to two-and-a-half hours every single Tuesday without fail wow. flying balls with each of those wedges and hitting those, trying to hit those towels on the fly. Know your distance control. Know your distances. But be very, very deadly with your wedges. If you have any inkling at all of playing at the highest level, you've got to be dangerous with your wedges.
0: Awesome. Awesome advice. That's one of the weaknesses in my game, which after this I will go out and practice. I do have one final question. Can you beat Judge Gene Scanlon?
4: Yes, of course I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, He's, Gene's great. Gene's a great guy. No, I he is.
0: Uh, he is. Uh, I
4: mean, Gene, Gene's a wonderful guy.
0: He really is. And I he can, thanks you for I can that take, club, too. I can, take
4: Gene to, I can take Gene to the woodshed still, yes.
0: I love it. I love it. Bob, thanks for being with us. I loved it. Thanks for the great advice and for you out there that are thinking about being on the tour. Take that to heart because Bob knows what he's talking about. Bob, thank you for being with us and spending time with us.
4: All the very best,
0: Rich. Good luck to you. All All the best. Take care. Bob Friend, former PGA Tour player and winner, and uh, with some great advice about how to get up on the PGA Tour. Up next, we have another PGA Tour player who won his card here at Sea Palms, Chip Beck. They call him Mr. 59. We'll be back with him in a couple of minutes. But are you looking for new clubs? Well, try the new Mizuno's 9.25s, 9.23s. They will improve your game. The new Mizuno irons will help you reach beyond. And then take a look at their driver, their fairway medals, the hybrids, and you're on your way to game improvement. Putters, they've got mallets, they got the blades, they've got everything. Check out everything at MizunoGolf.com. Mizuno Golf, reach beyond.
4: Hey, this is Dr. Mo at the Sea Island Golf Performance Center, and you're listening to the Back 9 Boys
0: Golf Show. And welcome back, I'm Rich Stiles. Chip Beck won four times on the PGA Tour and had 20 runner-up finishes. Let's welcome Chip Beck to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Good morning, Chip. Good morning. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Great to see you out playing with some friends at Sea Island a couple of weeks ago. I loved it.
3: Well, I love the golf courses there. I Really, the pros were so nice to me. Johan Emanuel and John Olson, they were so nice to let me play golf there. I took my family. We had a great time. Great golf courses. It was fun to play.
0: Well, and this area also means a lot to you because you earned your tour card at Sea Palms. Tell us about that.
3: (laughs) You know, it's really interesting. When I came out of college, I actually represented Sea Palms, and uh, I did. I qualified. My dad kept that qualification. I finished like I think I won it, and uh, he kept the press clip in his wallet till well, he died. I hmm. think it was so nice; it meant a lot to him. It meant a lot to me too.
0: Well, being a former Bulldog, you had more top ten finishes than any other player in school history. Does that record still stand today?
3: I don't know about that. They've had so many good players come through there. Um, they've had quite a few. Oh yeah, <laughs> they, they've had so many great ones, and a lot of them live in your area too. So yep, they'd be more qualified to probably answer that. But uh, I, 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 it was a great time for me. I enjoyed it, and it was probably the a great one of the best times of my life playing there.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure you've been asked this many times uh, about your 59. Take us through that round at Las Vegas Invitational when you shot that unbelievable magic number.
3: Well, we knew that it could happen the night before I was on the, on the putting green the night before we played in Las Vegas and we had five new golf courses that year. So we, I didn't get to play the golf course. I never saw it, but I remember John cook and I, and our caddies were talking about it and, um, they were saying, yeah, you can reach the par fives and two, you know, there's some wedges into par fours, this golf course. It can happen on. and it was a big thing that year because they were Hilton Corporation was given a million dollars the first guy to shoot fifty nine that year. Mm-hmm. And so that was a lot of money for us., you know, I actually won a million dollars shooting fifty nine and uh, Andrew McGee won six hundred and fifty thousand for winning the our biggest uh, purse that week, the Las Vegas Invitational. So that was in ninety one. so that was a that was a pretty big thing.
0: But at that point, you had the PGA record for one round of 13 birdies. Did you just think, I, you know, I don't care how far I am or where I am, I think they're they're all going to go in?
3: Well, you just keep kind of moving down the line. What was funny about that one, uh, we, we wore metal spikes at the time, and so the greens and the front nine, I started at 7 o'clock, so – getting to the back nine, the greens were getting a little bit bumpier. The spike marks, when you'd kick them up, they'd mm. have a little dirt attached to them, and they get really hard, so they started deflecting the ball. And I said, man, I don't know how many more putts I can make. I better hold this one on the last hole. So I took a little chance. It was really a seven-iron number, but I hit an eight-iron because the flag was really tight over the flag. I figured I'd risk it. And, uh, and I, when I, I remember seeing it out of the corner of my eye. I thought, ooh, that's perfect. Got the right amount of spin. It just came out just right. I said, oh, go in ball. And it ended up being on the upside of the hole about a couple feet. <laughs> I, was, I was really hoping it was going to be a kick in. But I had actually two spike marks in my line. And I just I wanted to be steady. And I wanted to roll it, hit the first one. Which would hit the second one and he'd catch the right side of the cup. And uh that's exactly what happened. It's funny, I didn't even remember that until I was playing poorly. And I thought how in the world did I shoot such a good round? Yeah. And (laughs) as it turned out, remembered that I I, even on the seventeenth pole the wind kicked up was a left or right fader of the ball. Been kicked up right to left, really strong. I backed off the shot and I said, "Oh, my caddy Dave." I said, "Dave, lose." That. I said, "Dave, I need to gonna two hop it in the fringe, keep it on the right side of that hole." And uh, well, I'm sure glad I did that because it was on the underside of the hole, and I had a putt from about 10 feet that broke probably six eight inches. Otherwise, if I'd have been off the left side, I could have never made the putt. Yeah, it broke too much. Yeah. Anyways, you, I, I realized at that point in time. You play golf in your imagination when you're playing your best. You play it with, you know, clear thoughts. And you, you literally play with – you don't play mechanically. You play imagining how you're going to play your shots. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's the great thing about golf. Sometimes you can get away from that. But the sooner you get back to it, the better you're going to play.
0: Yeah, and you played pretty good in the 93 Masters. You ended up being the runner-up. But uh, tell us a little bit about the last few holes. Uh, did you think you were going to have a chance to win the Masters? And what happened in those well, final holes? Well,
3: it's really funny. You know, anybody that plays a low cut probably I mean, doesn't have I, – I thought you really didn't have a chance to win Augusta, whether it's Lee Trevino or or what Um, You know, they hit the ball with a fade, generally hit the ball low. And uh, when you play that way, you really don't have much of a chance to win at Augusta. I remember working with Hank Haney. I said, Hank, look, I played golf at Georgia. I wanted to win that tournament from the time I was a kid. Sure. In Georgia, Georgia, we had a chance to play it every year, and I never played it because I figured I was going to get there when I turned pro. And plus, I wanted to go home. Because uh, I was from North Carolina. And uh, but the crazy thing about it, you know, he said, Chip, every great player that plays there plays a, an open face draw. The club face back and open, and you op- open and close that face and roll that ball, you know, 25, 30 yards. I was playing a 30-yard hook Wow. when I had a chance to win there. But I'd never been – I played there like 13 times. I never had a chance to play and win that tournament until I hit a big hook. Because so you just, if, if the course was wet, I couldn't get down the hills. I couldn't right. get the ball on the green. It's a hard golf course for a guy my size going in there, hitting a fade. You just can't do it. So, anyways, I was really proud of myself for uh, having the opportunity and going around Amen Corner. Truly, it could have gone my way. Or, it went the Bernhard Langer's way, but it was nip and tuck really. And I, I, I knew when I finished that day that I knew how to win Augusta. And uh, as it turned out, they slaved me for laying up at 15. And they, one of the, one of the funny stories, you know, I I was telling this uh, member recently about the up at 15. I said, you know what? They had these things on the right side of that fairway. Only time I'd ever seen them. And there were humps in the fairway. They put these little humps. And he said, oh, the gumdrops.
5: That's
3: uh-huh. Tim Nair, and he's, he's been a long-time member. He, he's friends with Jack Nicholas, and he, he knows architecture and design of golf courses. And he said, oh, the gumdrops. I said, is that what you call them? He said, yeah, we put them in for one year. I said, that destroyed me because I said I, I couldn't skirt the wind. I had to straight up in the wind, and I was 10 yards behind my go point. And I said I tried to get the ball, you know, if, if the flag were back, uh, you know, if, actually if the, if the flag were up close, a lot of times I'll put it just three or four feet on the front of that green. Well, then I would have, I would have had to have skirt the wind, skirt that gumdrop, and try to catch the bunker, which was, on, you know, 240 to the, to the right side. It was 10 yards short right. of, of the green. So I, I thought about that, but the flag was open. And when the flag's open or 30 yards back from the front or 10 paces from the, from the front of the green, it's an open flag. And you can, you can make it from the fairway. And, uh, it, you know, it's a narrow green in the first place. But anyways, I, I, I played my shot that I thought was going to give me the best opportunity. I was already three down. And uh, so, you know, it, it's funny because Ray Floyd told me, he said, Chip, I was the same position going into 15. Uh, the year before and same number of shots down and i I beat nick uh, nick faldo beat in a playoff i got into the playoff he said you did the right thing Hmm. i said you know if you can't get there you you can't risk your whole tournament on one round right especially when i knew where everything was and you know you have to you just you can't really make mistakes like that at that time of the game so anyways i enjoyed it i had a i had a great time you know it's the guy that, that slayed me was Venturi, you know, and I, I looked at Venturi's record, rest his soul. He, he he, shot 80 when he had a chance to win, he was criticizing me. I thought, you know, that guy, he should know better than that.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, and, and you were the runner-up, and he wasn't. Yeah, that's, yeah right. That's, right. that's right. Well, Chip, we've got to take a quick so, break. We'll be right back with Chip Beck, former PGA Tour player, Mr. 59, right after this on the back nine boys golf show we'll be right back
4: hi this is zach johnson from the pga tour and you're listening to the back nine boys golf show
0: and welcome back i'm rich Stiles. speaking of Ryder cup with zach uh you were on three Ryder cup teams chip what was it like for you to play for your country
3: well we I, I, it was a highlight of my career I, I enjoyed it immensely uh my wife and i to be more social so we we enjoyed all the parties and the black ties and the the you know it was it was truly a lot of work because there were so many parties whoa, going on every night but yeah we loved it and i loved the competition because you'd find out things about guys that you can't even imagine like who didn't like to play with who and who was intimidated by who and who, uh, I mean, you just find out so many interesting things about some of the greatest players in the world. So I really love that part of it. We're, we're human like everybody else, you know, and everybody has their own works and uh, idiosyncrasies. And so it's it's a it's a great event. And, uh, you know, at the time I played, I didn't think we'd ever lose because mm. you, know, you had so much. Uh, you had the, you know, Nick Valdo didn't like Sandy Lyle, the Scottish been you know you had the it didn't seem like their team their their team was so divided and they they always were fighting each other. it seemed I thought man they can't beat us <laughs> then 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 that nine eleven happened I think everybody in the world gelled and wanted to beat the Americans after that, so yeah. it kind of gelled their team well, and uh always felt emotionally that was <laughs> that was a big that was a big switch, yeah, went off, you know.
0: Well, there's a lot of. It's kind of
3: of funny how it works like that, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. It is. And there's a lot of big switches going on. And you know all what's going on with this battle between the PGA and the Live Tour. What are your thoughts on this, Chip, after playing so long on the PGA Tour, playing the Ryder Cups and so on? What are your thoughts?
3: Well, you know, I think that if I were the commissioner, I would have said, hey, look, guys, bring it on. You guys can bring all your money. You can bring everything you've got. But the reality is we have the best players in the world. We have played the best courses. We have the best sponsors and people from all over the world want to play our events. And, uh, if you're an American, I think you have to go ahead and accept the fact that there's going to be competition, you know, because there needs to be competition. Competition always makes everybody better. Right. So as we're finding now, the competition is going to make the tour better. I mean, there, the, the, the regs that they've changed now are I've never I never dreamed you'd see a tour like what we have going now but uh, they' they're, they're definitely into the the uh, the modern era of sports that's for sure and the money the money is tremendous the amount of money they've guaranteed the players now is is remarkable
0: yeah it's changed but, a little uh, bit from when you played
3: oh you know what <laughs> I, I wouldn't change from the time I played. But I, I know one thing. It would have helped me a whole lot if I had five thousand dollars a month coming in, when I when I was missing all those cuts. Yeah, I almost set the record for the most cuts in a row. If I was getting five thousand a week, well I, was, I, I went about a year and a half spending five thousand a week, and had six kids put through college. And I tell you that that's Ooh. a lot of pressure on a guy.
0: Yeah, it sure does. It's
3: a it's a different ball game.
0: Yeah, it it's is. A,
3: it's a be, it's a better game. Now, I think because you have so many young people coming out where they don't lose their skills, you don't have a Curtis Strange coming out, taking four years to get out there because he can't qualify, you know, and myself, it's, it took me really a while to get comfortable out there because you, you have so many people that were qualifying. You'd go to, we'd go to Phoenix. There'd be four different golf courses. One player at each course at 150 play, players at each course. See, you know, wow. I, did, I didn't qualify my first year until July of my first year. Hmm. I finished second in the tour school. So I, I failed keeping my card by like $92. I didn't even make $7,000. And I went back to tour school, finished second again. And then I started qualifying better because I knew the courses. Right, but right. When you when you're playing 150 guys for one spot, you got to play great. Yeah, you do. There were there were a lot of guys that were you know. I remember Tiger Woods coming out as a 16 year old, and I remember standing on the Riviera on the green, looking down at J.C. Sneed or something. Saying, yeah, I want to sign a good This kid's going to be. Let's bring him on. Because huh. they weren't afraid of anybody. Yeah. The fact were the fact were they had the, the deck, you know, packed and, and stacked in their in their favor. But now the young kids can come out with their confidence. And the the sad part to the kids today is that the players that could actually teach them how to how to you know play better, right? How to do things in a better way—they're they're they're gone. They're playing the—they're not—they're not not, you know—they're—they're gone now. I I was playing with Trevino when he was in his forties, and Nicholas when he was in his forties, and you know after that, the Champions Tour and all that came on. The guys are gone. So uh, I think that's unfortunate for them because I learned a lot in my 20s from the guys that were playing in their 40s and uh, 50s. So cause they'll, they'll tell you the truth. They son, you can't do it like that. That's going to cost you a lot of money playing like that. <coughs> you know, I remember Termino hit me. He said, son, you're the dumbest kid I ever saw. You hit from the middle of the tee trying to hit the middle of the fairway. He <coughs> said, old Buck will beat you every time. He said, I come all the way around the right ain't all the way down on the left, about a, about two yards into that left cut, and then I have 30 yards to get that ball into. That's, that's how I win my majors. <laughs> you got to smarten up. <laughs> but I mean, the kids the kids today, they, I see them making so many mistakes and so many – they have so many swing flaws. To me, it's like, wow. Yeah. But, they, but they're but they playing with such confidence. You know, yeah. you can have a, a Jordan Spieth come out there. He's probably the best putter to ever come along since Bobby Jones. And uh, – you know he he's he's having trouble hitting fairways and greens. Yeah. If he if he if he plays anywhere near if his strikes the ball anywhere near what uh, Tiger Woods did he he should have broken all his records. I've never seen a guy putt as good as Jordan Spieth.
5: Yeah, I agree. It's
3: so great. I agree. You no, know, but he's he's struggling with. Uh, I mean, he's made 50, 60 million dollars, you know, in his net worth, but. I don't think he's that satisfied because he's he's doing things in a very difficult way.
0: Yeah, and he wants the Shambo, to win more. Yeah, the he...
3: Shambo's, in, in my opinion, is Same doing way. a lot of wrong things. Yeah, he's got you no, know, he's he's, he's uh, got a labrum torn in his left hip. He's got a hand a bone in his left hand broken. He had to, you know he says he will... ping pong, but the facts are. It's hard to play doing what he's doing.
0: Yeah, Chip, I can't thank you enough for being with us. Sorry, it, I wish it was longer. Thanks for being with us. Thank you
3: so much. I really enjoyed it.
0: All right, Chip, that take great
3: care. Area down there.
0: righty, thank you.